I invite you to open with me this morning to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in just a moment from verse 1. You know, our James here, our worship leader James, uh, not the writer of this letter, of course. Um, But but he leaned over and he apologized to me a moment ago. He, He looked at his watch and he said, I'm sorry. And I said, it's okay. We had a great time. We've been having fun this morning. Uh, I hope that uh, you were blessed by our time of worship this morning. I I will go ahead and remind you, though, that it is 22 minutes until 12. So when you are not out of here by lunch, it is not my fault. It's your fault. Don't forget that, okay? Uh, But but no, in all seriousness, it's been good to worship with you this morning. And uh, we will try to be good stewards of our time together in the Word. You know, we're, we're all, whether we like to admit it or not, we are inclined towards being prejudiced people. We're inclined to have an element of being biased or prejudiced based upon appearance, based upon hobbies and interests and stages of life, right? And maybe that's uncomfortable for you to confront that issue this morning, but I have a warning for you. The next 30 minutes or so, that's what the Word of God's going to address our inclination towards being prejudiced. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Imagine that you walk into a room, and um, there's two tables there, one on your right, one on your left, and at each table, there's only one seat left at the table. Now, some of you have flooded, you're you're flooding yourself with feelings of anxiety even at the prospect of seeing that, right? There's there's one seat left at each one. I I gotta sit next to somebody. But let's go a step further. Imagine one of the tables has people at that table, they, they, they're in the same stage of life at you, as you, it seems. They, uh, they have the same skin color as you. Uh, you. You listen close to their conversation, and you realize they might have a bit of a southern cave spring accent, perhaps. And, and they're talking about some of the things that you share an interest with. That's one table. One seat left at that table. And then you look at the other table, and again, just one seat left there, but, but you look at that one, and immediately you see that people there, they're not in the same stage of life as you. They might be younger or older, depending on what category you yourself are in. They, they, they don't have the same skin color as you. And then you listen close, and maybe the way they're talking, you're, it's broken English at best. And, and you really can't follow the conversation at all. They're definitely not from Cave Spring, it would seem, from your perspective. Which table do you sit at? Be honest. Which table would you say, you know what, sign me up to sit there? Just about everyone in this room is going to sit at the table with those who are like them. It's the safe thing to do, right? Uh, maybe you, you look at that, them and you say, I can, I can blend in a little bit better. I'm not going to stick out as much. Right? I, I can... I can start up a conversation with someone and share some interests or commonalities with them. Or maybe if you're like me and you like to really justify things, that's me. There's always an internal debate happening in my heart. Uh, You're like me and you're looking at that and you're saying, well, they were already a bit prejudiced because look, they're sitting with each other. There was no one that was an outlier. They, They all sat together, so it must be okay for me to do what they have done. What the Word of God is going to expose to us this morning is that the inclination of our hearts to be prejudiced is really a gospel issue. It's really a a, a kingdom of God type issue. And it's something we have to take seriously. Now, 
I want to be clear about something. If you're a guest this morning and, and you've just shown up for the first time here today, you're like, man, he, this pastor, he really likes to stand on a soapbox and talk about political issues, it seems. No, we, we, the way we handle the Word of God here at First Baptist Church is we start at the beginning of a book, a letter, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and we work all the way through that one. Uh, we don't skip anything, even if it's difficult, even if it's, if it's terse, it seems, even if it's confrontational. And so understand, this is not motivated by culture around us right now. This is motivated clearly by what the clear testimony of Scripture is. Write this down if you're taking notes and you have that listening guide there in your bulletin, perhaps. God grants his people with the resources they need to guard against prejudice. There's a lot in that statement. God grants his people the resources they need to guard against being prejudiced. Understand, what's wrapped up here is, again, that gospel issue, that it is him granting us the capability or the ability to not be prejudiced. This is not something that you have to conjure up from within. We don't possess the ability to lay aside prejudice in and of ourselves. We're going to behave like the world. But what the Word of God is going to teach us this morning, it's going to teach us that He gives us what we need to guard against being prejudiced. I hope that you'll hear this word. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. But I hope that you are truly transformed by the Word of God this morning. Would you stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word? James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that has been invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is indeed confrontational. Lord, that it addresses the, the arrogance, it addresses the hidden places of our hearts, it addresses our prejudice. Lord, I pray that you will use your word to challenge us and transform us as your people. 
draw people to yourself, those who are certainly far from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Before we dive into these warnings, or or really these resources that God's Word gives to us regarding how to guard against being prejudiced, we need to be reminded of the context of this letter. And this is interesting for us. You know, why would James, we should ask this question, why would James feel the need to address this issue to these people at this time? What's the point? You may be reminded that when James opens his letter, he talks about these people who are Christians who are scattered. He talks about Jewish Christians who have been displaced from the place that they know is familiar, and they have fled because of persecution. So let me paint this picture for you. They are living around people who are not like them. They don't have the same beliefs as they have. They probably don't look like they look. They don't have the same interests as they have. They don't have the same religion they have. They don't have the same passions they have. So in every way, the Jewish Christians that James is writing to, if anybody had an excuse to be prejudiced, it was them, right? They had fled because of persecution. They were searching for something familiar. And so their inclination would have been to do what? To cling to one another. We know each other. We're comfortable with each other. Let's stick together. Can I share with you this warning before we go any further? In the world in which we live, the times in which we live, our inclination is to cling tightly to each other. It's comfortable. Some of you came here today because it's comfortable. The noise of the world has has clouded uh, your daily life, and you come to this place, you say, I'm with people like me. And there's a warning against that because the call of this word is going to be cling to Jesus and not each other, brothers and sisters. Let's consider these four guardrails against prejudice, these four resources, these four warnings he gives us. Number one, if we're going to guard against prejudice, we must be captivated by God's glory. We've got to be captivated by God's glory. We see this in the first four verses I've shared with you before that James likes to issue commands. That's the way that he talks. He's kind of a bossy kind of guy. And and, and listen to what he says in verse 1. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. And you might be inclined to think, well, that phrase, do not show favoritism, that's the command in this verse. you got to read a little further to find it. Listen to what he says. Don't show favoritism as you hold on to faith. That's the central command. So what he's saying is, if you are going to Abstain from being prejudiced. You got to hold on to something else. You got to cling tightly to faith. Faith in who? Faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he says. And so he mentions Jesus here. And what we're going to find here is if we're going to be captivated by God's glory, we need to understand first that glory is fully revealed in Jesus. Glory is fully revealed in Jesus. Now, it's interesting to note that right here in verse 1 of chapter 2, this is only the second time. Uh, that James mentions Jesus by name in this letter. Now, Jesus is written all over this letter. The teachings of Jesus are so clear. But Jesus by name is only mentioned here for the second time. You see, he talks about this intentionally to expose us to this notion of the glory of Jesus Christ. Be captivated by that glory, he tells us. You see, being captivated by the glory of Christ draws our attention to two key understandings. First of all, we understand that 
Jesus is sovereign over the wealthy. We understand that when, when Jesus is glorious, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, you rest under the sovereign hand of God. It, you might be, be able to say this, the glory of Jesus is the great equalizer for all of humanity. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how wealthy or how poor you are. Everyone rests under the glory of Jesus Christ. He shares an illustration in verses 2 and 3 about those who are poor and those who are wealthy. He talks about how they are treated with prejudice and partiality. And clearly, if all of this rests under the sovereignty of Jesus, that prejudice would not be so. But then James draws our attention to the corruption of our own judgment. You see, at the end of verse 4, he teaches us that Jesus is the only just judge. He really is the only one who can judge rightly. Notice what he says about us. He says, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, it's easy for us to, to take this word to judge and apply a very human understanding of it. Because we, we think of whether it be Supreme Court justices or a local judge here, and we say, you know, they get the final say. But what James is exposing us to here is the uniqueness of Jesus as a judge. You see, when a judge makes a ruling in a very human understanding of that word, he appeals to something outside of himself, right? Our judges, hopefully, are appealing to the Constitution of the United States of America, right? They have this standard they appeal to. And it's apart from who they are. It's not internalized. In fact, they point to places in that Constitution. They say, look, this is our ruling because of this. But what James says here, he says, listen, you can have that right standard or what you think is the right standard, but you can still have what? Evil thoughts. You see, Jesus is different. Jesus, as the only just judge, he doesn't appeal to a standard apart from himself. No, he appeals to the standard within himself. He is the only one who is truly just and righteous. So that means when he passes judgment, that's the final say. Here's the good news. When we recognize Jesus as the only just judge, when we recognize that he has that standard, that is apart from us, but it's a part of who he is, we begin to be captivated by the glory of Christ. And when we're captivated by that glory, it takes every thought captive that might lead us towards prejudice thoughts. Notice this as we move on to verses 5 through 7. We must also be transformed by heavenly citizenship. We must be transformed by heavenly Citizenship. So we're captivated by the glory of Christ and we are transformed by heavenly citizenship. Look first at the end of that next paragraph. That's verses 6 and 7 if you're following with me. He says, yet you have dishonored the poor. And don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that has been invoked over you? Notice what James is doing here. He's drawing their attention to the way they are treated by outsiders as well. He's saying, listen, when you are being prejudiced, you are acting like everyone else. You're following suit with the way the world treats you. And aren't you offended by that, he says. We must understand that we are inclined to operate like the world. We have to admit that brokenness about who we are. 
James draws their attention to this through this very practical illustration. Perhaps in your mind, you have something else that comes to mind. An issue of being prejudiced. An issue where you were alienated from everyone else. When you were identified as different or unique. Doesn't feel good. It's offensive. And James is clear to point out that that offensiveness is reason to flee from prejudice. We should bear in mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Paul, when he's talking about how Jesus operates or the Lord operates on a different set of standards, he says this, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. You see, although the world operates by a prejudiced standard, the the Lord operates by this different economy. He looks at things differently, and therefore we should be challenged to do so as well. Now, as we look at verse 5, we, we see how the Lord transforms this flawed understanding. Look back there with me, beginning in verse 5. James says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Now, there's this word kingdom there. I want you to underline that in your mind, circle it perhaps in your Bible. When the word kingdom comes up, that should, that should grab our attention. Because we begin to recognize that we are citizens of a different type of kingdom. We see when we're citizens of a different kingdom, we behave differently. We believe differently, perhaps. We look at the world a bit differently. I remember when uh, Sheree and I traveled to the Philippines to serve as missionaries for the better part of a, a year and a half of our lives. We checked all the boxes getting ready for that trip. We got our visas in line. We we sold all our possessions. We bought plane tickets. We, we made sure that we even had the extended visa that would cover up to two years. Like we did all those things we thought correct. We had everything in order about where we were going to live at, and, and, and we had the house that was, was sitting there for us that had been remodeled and ready to go for our little family. We got there, and we, we, we slept off all of the, the jet lag and all those things and battled some sickness, and things were going Okay. Until we faced some transportation issues. You see, we had to figure out a way to get around. And so I used public transportation for a little while until I realized how expensive it was. You see, the public transportation where we lived was a, what they call a tricycle. And it wasn't like a tricycle like the clown rides on, right? Like this is a motorcycle with a sidecar attached to it. And, and I, I was told to walk to the end of the street and, and flag down one of these guys on these motorcycles, and I could pay him some pesos, and, and he would take me to the market. I thought, oh, that's a pretty good deal. I went down there. I tried it for the first day. I was so proud. I waved it down. He, he pulled over to the side, and he said, 80 pesos. I said, awesome. I didn't understand how currency worked. I just gave him 80 pesos, hopped in the tricycle. He took me to the market. I picked up my groceries. I came back, and the same guy was waiting on me, and he said, 80 pesos. He gave him 80 pesos. He took me back home. Things were going great. Well, 80 pesos is the equivalent of $2. He said, that's a pretty good deal. It, is, it seems like a good deal until you realize that I heard him tell someone else that their cost was 40 pesos. 
And I asked him why through my broken Tagalog. I was talking to him. I said, well, why? And he said, you're, I'm big. And so he charged me double price because he thought it was double the gas, right? And so I realized that that was prejudice, by the way. I, that was harsh. And, and, and he might have been right. But, but nonetheless, it was going to cost me $2 every time I was going to go to and from the market. This was horrible in terms of finances. And so we began to decide, how do we navigate this? What do we do? We need to buy a car. That's where citizenship became really important for us. You see, we couldn't own a car because we didn't have Filipino citizenship. You see, citizenship brings with it certain rights and privileges. And we can get lost in kind of the, how customary it is for us as Americans. We have rights and privileges as Americans. And we realize very quickly when we look at God's word and we see this word kingdom, we understand that our citizenship in that kingdom, it comes with certain rights and privileges. It should transform our way of life. Notice a few characteristics of this different kingdom. First of all, in that kingdom, God's promises are irrevocable. God's promises are irrevocable. They are sure. He talks in verse 5. He says that phrase, he has promised this inheritance to you. The promises of God are certain and sure in his kingdom. He tells us also that, that true wealth is found in Jesus. He talks about being rich in faith in this verse. Rich in faith in who? In Christ. You see, Jesus himself taught this economy. You may remember from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Jesus says the poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs you see that that word kingdom shows up again why because citizenship in that kingdom makes all of us truly rich finally citizens are given a new name they're given a new name in verse 7 he talks about this name being invoked over you make no mistake brothers and sisters this is the name of Jesus this is when we are called his people when we identify as Christians, when we talk about being a part of that kingdom, it changes our name. We have a good name to uphold. Now, as we continue to verse 8, we see that James references what is now called the royal law. He then quotes something we probably remember Jesus saying. So look at verses 8 and 9 with me. He says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, Prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin, you're convicted by the law as transgressors. Here's what we need to understand. If we're going to be captivated by his glory, that's going to change us. We've got to be transformed by being citizens of this kingdom. Thirdly, we must be convicted by sin's seriousness. We've got to be convicted by the seriousness Sin. You see, James is careful here to equate showing favoritism with something that is, in, that is inherently sinful. Now, we're inclined to, for it to be a harmless offense. Even the illustration I shared with you at the beginning, you probably justified in your mind why it would be okay to choose the table of the people like you. We, we take these, these things that we view as minor when Scripture calls them major the scriptures are clear that prejudiced thoughts about others, they are serious. 
want to give you three reasons for the seriousness of sin based upon the authority of this word. First of all, it is an offense against others. It's an offense against others. There's a word used here that's translated in English as favoritism. Favoritism. But it has a deeper meaning and picture that's painted. You see, favoritism here is talking about judging according to the face. That's what that phrase, that word literally means. Judging according to the face. Judging according to appearance. If we're not careful, we do this in subtle ways ourselves. I was reading this week uh, some illustrations about this, and uh, I'm careful sometimes to share illustrations I read because I think, well, you're going to find them and say he's plagiarizing the sermon. No, that's, that's not the case at all. I, I find an illustration that particularly strikes my heart. I want to share it with you. Listen, how many of you have ever said, you know, I was, I was talking to a black guy the other day? You ever said that? Yeah. Uh, maybe you said, I was talking to an Asian lady the other day. Let me ask you a pointed question. How many of you have looked at talking to, you know, recounting a conversation and said, I was talking to a white guy the other day? Not many of you have done that, right? See, we are in subtle ways inclined to take these labels and in just casual conversation apply that prejudice. If we're not careful, it's offensive. Let me go to something beyond skin color for a moment. It's, something, it's very important to me, and I've been educated about this since being in Cave Spring. Many of you are aware of the mental health crisis we have in Cave Spring. You understand the, the needs that we have within our own community regarding those who, who struggle with mental illness. And, and if we're not careful, we take labels and apply that to those people as well. How many of you have said, well, I was talking to uh, a lady the other day and the, and the conversation wasn't going well because you know she's bipolar? You ever done that before? That's a label. You've taken a person, you've stripped them of their personhood, and you've taken the thing they struggle with and you've said, that's who they are. Don't you see how offensive that is? And some of you are shirking this off. You say, man, he's really on a soapbox and I just can't see it from the eyes of the preacher. Listen, that's the warning of Scripture. That's the warning that this is serious. It's not cute. It's not casual. It separates us as God's people in a way that is not healthy. It is not becoming of the kingdom of God. It's an offense against others. If that doesn't grab you, what about this? It's an offense against God. It's an offense against God. You see, James calls those in verse 9, he calls them lawbreakers. But then notice what he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11. This label lawbreakers that he applies, notice what he says. He says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, at one point, he's guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do commit adultery, but you murder, or do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. You see, what, what he does is he equates the sin of being prejudiced with other sins that we likely consider to be more offensive. 
He takes this sin that we overlook and he says, I want you to put it in this category of serious sins that you understand. Why? Because you've got to understand that being prejudiced, showing favoritism, is just as serious. Ultimately, ultimately, because being prejudiced is called sin, be warned of this last reason to take it seriously. It carries a perilous penalty. It carries a perilous penalty. Being prejudiced carries with it serious consequences. You see, this word transgressor comes up throughout Scripture to describe a lawbreaker. This isn't lawbreaker in the terms of like getting a speeding ticket. It's a serious word in Scripture because of the penalty it carries. In Psalm 37 and verse 38, listen to what the Word of God says about all transgressors, all lawbreakers. But transgressors will all be eliminated, it says. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. You see, when you place yourself in the category of a transgressor because of this sinful attitude, this is your penalty. This is your lot. It's serious. Now, likely you feel, at least over the last five or ten minutes or so, that you've just been beat over the head with how wrong and sinful you are to have prejudice in your life. You've been confronted by even the hidden attitudes of being prejudiced. But you feel, if you're like me, that you just don't measure up. Maybe you're, you're interacting with this for the first time. You feel guilty. You feel like you're never going to get it right. You feel like, I'll never measure up to this standard. There's always going to be this hidden attitude of prejudice in my heart. Maybe you think about the careless things that you've said. You think about the condition of your heart. And you wonder if there's any hope. I want you to listen to verses 12 and 13. Listen carefully. James says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen carefully, beloved. We must be humbled by God's mercy. We've got to be humbled by his mercy. Captivated by his glory transformed by the kingdom, convicted by sin, and finally, humbled by his marvelous and inexhaustible mercy. He says, I want you to speak and act like those who are judged by the law of freedom. This, law, this word law of freedom might sound strange, but if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you heard me explain this. The law of freedom here, this is a descriptive term of the gospel. The law of freedom is the gospel. You see, our inclination towards being prejudiced is ultimately cleansed when we understand the gravity of the gospel. This is a gospel issue. A couple things to remember. Mercy is extended by those who have been shown mercy. We flee from being prejudiced when we understand the mercy we have been shown because understand that guilt you just felt a moment ago, listen, that guilt, don't let it leave. Don't, don't forget your need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That feeling of not measuring up. Friends, don't forget that feeling for even a moment. Be ever reminded that you have been shown great mercy for every careless word you've spoken, for every hidden thought in your heart. You've been shown mercy. You see, we loosen our grip on prejudice when we are gripped by the mercy that God has shown us. When we, when we understand 
that God has shown us mercy, we let go of prejudice. See, it's not that mercy is somehow earned by us. By its very definition, mercy cannot be earned. That's what makes it mercy. Finally, mercy is granted because of the cross. Mercy is granted because of the cross. You see, when we read that last sentence, that's one of those things to highlight. That's one of those things to put on a t-shirt. That's one of those things to remember forever. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Understand something. God's mercy and his judgment came to a great intersection on the cross of Calvary. You see, our sin demanded the judgment of God. Our brokenness demanded the judgment of God. Our careless words, if we get real about it, they demanded the judgment of God. Gossip and slander demanded the judgment of God. And it's on the cross of Calvary that his mercy intersected with that judgment. Because the penalty that was due to us, he instead extended to us mercy. And he placed that judgment on Jesus. The cross, you could say this, it is the great equalizer of all humanity. Everybody needs the cross. Everybody needs the gospel. This is why, this is why, this is a gospel issue. Because there's no room for prejudice when we understand everyone's need for the gospel. Let's go back to that room for just a minute. That room with two tables. That room with two tables. One table is those that are like you, they talk like you, they act like you, they look like you. And one table is the table that you, they don't, they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you. And you make the choice like most of us would. You go and sit at the table with those who are like you. You give in to the conditioning around you, and, you, and, you, and you, you do that. And then you've sat here and you've heard this truth. The truth that this is indeed a sinful way to look at people. And you see another one walk in that room. His name's Jesus. Let that flood your heart with the assurance that there is indeed mercy for you. Because when he sees the prejudice approach that you made in that situation, instead what he does, instead of looking at you and saying, shame on you, he says, here's mercy. Here's grace. Whether it's being prejudiced or whether it's some other sinful condition in your life, friend, take hold of that merciful Jesus. Let everything else flee. Let him wash away all of that sin in your life. Let him truly give you a new life. Let the cross of Calvary be that great equalizer in your life. I extend that invitation to you with passion, hopefully with some clarity, that you would respond to the gospel. Don't stake your security on your identity with a certain family or identity with this church or identity with your, your reputation or your attendance 
faithfully or, or what you can do for the Lord. Don't stake your eternity on that. Understand your need for Jesus. Please let us know if you want to respond to this invitation of the gospel in your life. And I love you and I'm grateful for your attentiveness this morning. Listening when it was hard. It is my prayer always that you will respond to this glorious gospel.